Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back. We're so excited that you guys are still with us. We are in episode seven today. Thank you so much for listening, uh, making commitment to your learning, which is awesome. We hope that you are doing well in your clinics. Uh, we've heard from quite a few people that are that are listening, which is really cool, by the way. So I am, I'm Yvonne. I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined by Jordan. Hi. Hey. So congrats. We are on episode seven. Boop, boop. Yay. <laughs> and we've had so many downloads. I really appreciate that. So <laughs> I know it's, it's kind of fun and crazy to see it. And I, I'm, well, so many downloads for us. We're like, we have, we have 50 per episode, which is really cool, by the way. Um, yeah. I was really worried there'd only be 10 of you listening and you'd all be my friends and family. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we'll just do a little bit of housekeeping. It's a little bit longer because this is actually our first episode that we are recording after the launch of the podcast. This is, this is kind of exciting for us. We do have the question of the week. So last week's question of the week, which was a, the episode was regarding pancreatitis, is what was the most rewarding case of pancreatitis you've seen or one that you learned the most from? So we don't have a ton of answers to our question yet. And Jordan and I were trying to figure out why actually. And we realized we've done a kind of a bad job of letting you know where to go for this. So we, we created the show notes page on our website. So if you go to internalmedicineforvettex.com slash podcast show notes, that is where you're going to find all of our resources and the information from that we share with the podcast or on the podcast. So you're going to want to scroll all the way to the very bottom and then there's a comment section. So go ahead and just answer the questions in the comment section. We'll make sure to start shouting you guys out during the episodes for those answers to the questions. Other things that we want to say thank you, thank you very, very, very much about is we have six five-star reviews on iTunes, which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> we have two people that have left comments, which is awesome. So Jack Storm NBF and Shark Face Killer, which <laughs> I love that. That's kind of amazing. Shark Face Killer. And so one of them is love learning about animals. They are great at helping, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really do hope people are taking away some stuff from from this now especially now that we're getting into the cool like the cool stuff yeah. like diseases and stuff yeah we're not just talking about vet tech week we're actually talking about like internal medicine things <laughs> so another really cool thing is on our facebook page we had sanet bales thank we want to thank you for referring the podcast to a friend on facebook which is awesome and for saying that we're a really great resource we really appreciate it we hope that it helps you throughout your day. Also, I think Caitlin Lindblad, she commented on episode three that she loved this episode and also great microphone updates. The sound was much better this week. Yeah. So hopefully going forward, we'll have similar sounds throughout the episodes. I, I will say fair warning. I hope mine sounds okay on my end. I'll 
I won't totally get into it, but if you, <laughs> but if you know me, I am displaced from my house at the moment due to poop water, which is hilarious. And I'm staying at my right. friend's house. And so currently I'm recording in a closet. <laughs> Your house needs a butt catheter. My house does <laughs> need a butt catheter. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of done with dealing with poop really for a while. Right. Yeah. No, I think lately you've sounded fine. I can't seem to get my dogs to cooperate when I try to record, but whatever. Well, that's because you have six of them. Let's, let's be real. Five. Five. Oh, five. five. Sorry. Five. Yeah. So just sometimes sounds like six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My husband commented, he's like, you should definitely warn people that there's going to be cats and dogs in your, in your podcast. And I'm like, I definitely did. So here's the warning again. Occasionally small children, cats and dogs may make appearances on the podcast and we try our best <laughs> to keep them to a minimum. <laughs> so some of the other quick housekeeping things, we do have a Facebook group now and it's just for podcast listeners. So if you love our podcast and you want to interact with us a little bit more, definitely check out the um, Facebook group. If you go to Facebook, look for internal medicine for vet tech. It is the group associated with that. So if you have any trouble, please let us know. I'll try to also put a link in the show notes so you can find us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And invite your friends to the group too. And then of course you can communicate with us through the, that group. Yes. And Which we have had like several, a few comments on there about like yeah. Someone, I think another like Caitlin or Kate or someone commented about like getting to know our personalities and yeah. stuff. <laughs> yes, we have a couple of people that are that are pretty responsive in there, which is which is really cool. And and thank you. I, it's been fun. If you if you are curious about why we are laughing about butt catheters, definitely go check out our Facebook group. There there mm -hmm. may be a blooper in there which that was, that was very difficult to get through <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then also we've created a couple of things as we've gone along the last month, just realizing we needed a couple of things. We created what's called the technician treasure trove. It is on the website. So what you need to do to access the technician treasure trove, well, well actually let me just tell you what it is. So the technician treasure trove, what we did is we created a page where we have, we have downloads that you can, you can snag for yourself. There's both clinical downloads as well as client education downloads. And so you can go there, anything that you want, it's totally up for grabs. Um, so we have, I think we talked about the questions, like your history questions. There's the forms there. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about hematology yet, but I have a hematology differential page uh, that I use in my clinic. You're more than welcome to use that. So that's on there. Also have some of the client handouts. So we have the pain score on there, quality of life kind of thing. Um, the CSU pain scores that we talked about in, I think that was the pancreatitis. No, that was the pain episode, correct? Yeah, the, the pain episode, so episode five. So we have that as well. Um, so we have a bunch of that stuff. And, and as we create things, we'll be updating that for you guys to check out. And then we also, on the show notes page, we realized your time is precious. So we have created two things. The first thing being transcripts. So all the episodes are transcribed. So if you want to look at what we've been talking about or some of the resources, you can, you can read it. Fair warning. <laughs> the way that it is written is, is how we talk, which is not how we normally write. So it's, it's not as easy 
to read, but the information's there. And then we also have CE certificates that are added for each episode. So one of the things that, about that is it's a half hour CE credit. You do need to check with your governing body um, to see kind of where it falls in. For example, in California, you can do self-study hours. So the different episodes would be considered self-study. So you just, if you want to, the other thing too is like for your work. I don't know if you, you guys collect your CE certificates for work. It always looks nice when you can do that. Um, but you just answer five questions about the episode and then you can download your CE certificate. So we have that as well. Anything else you can think of, Jordan, that we need to touch on before we dive in? Oh, speaking of, um, I know last week we said we were going to record a episode on esophageal foreign bodies or GI foreign bodies and endoscopic procedures. We decided we are going to push that off for right now, and we will be discussing that at a future date. So we will definitely get there, but for now, we're going to kind of move forward with a different plan. Anything else you want to cover before we get into it? No, I don't think so. Just if you could try to find a way to give us some reviews um, that way, just so we know that we're doing or what you want to hear from us. Plus we like reviews and it makes us feel nice that we're actually <laughs> doing something well. Well, and I will say from the other other side of that is, you know, some of the podcasters, so like iTunes, the more reviews there are, the higher it is in their showing so you actually yeah. can get found a little bit easier but you know we technicians we're 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 few and far between right <laughs> yeah it's easier for your friends to search us if you rate us so yeah. but this right. week i'm excited for i know so this week we're we yeah we're we're diving into a meaty topic so we'll have to kind of make sure we don't run too long for you guys so this week we are discussing diabetes dun 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 <laughs> We do have a page on the Pet Parents website, so internalmedicineforpetparents.com slash diabetes. That is a great resource both for clients as well as for you just to, to get a little bit more information. I feel like this is one of those topics. I think general practice manages these cases oh, yeah. pretty well. And for the most part, it's, it's very much a GP yes, thing. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. I, I remember working in general practice week unfortunately had a lot of diabetic patients. Um, yeah, I don't think it occurs very often where we just are diagnosing normal diabetes versus like we have a DK that comes in and they're like, we didn't know. And, I, and so yeah. that's what we see more of, I think, but just general diabetes when pets are just drinking and urinating more than normal and they go in for that originally, I think, yeah, that's definitely more of a GP thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we'll see the ones that are difficult to control. Um, yeah. But I think the straightforward ones, it's definitely a general practice thing, which is, which is great. It's awesome. You guys see these as well. So the disease name, the one we're going to be talking about today is going to be diabetes mellitus. So we're not talking diabetes insipidus today. We're talking diabetes mellitus. So what people think of traditionally with diabetes, right? So the definition of diabetes mellitus is it's a condition in which the pancreas no longer makes enough hormone, the hormone insulin for proper health. Okay. So we will talk about what insulin is responsible for in just a little bit, but there's, there's two types of diabetes mellitus that we traditionally think of. So there's type one, which is the pancreas is no longer producing insulin. 
And then there's type two where the pancreas is still producing some insulin, but it's not enough. And it was, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting for me. Like when I was researching for this one, I thought I remembered more, more about diabetes <laughs> than I actually did, but you know, dogs and cats do respond differently. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in, in a few moments, but you know, dogs and cats are, are more likely to have one or the other, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And it was funny when I was studying for my VTS test, I, you're more of a cat person. I'm more of a dog person. So when I was thinking of diabetes, I was like, type one is dogs because dogs are number one. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that you call me a cat person versus a dog person because That's I just... used to not be a cat person. <laughs> well, you know, we all play our roles, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> Plus, have you noticed how on our pages you do post more like cat things and that I'll post more like dog things? I've noticed this. That's really maybe because funny. I'm more of a dog person. <laughs> huh. It's because you're such a dog person that I'm having to pick up the slack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, equal rights for cats. I got it. (laughs) Yeah. So type one, um, that is the insulin diabetes or insulin dependent diabetes melanus. This is, we'll talk about the different cells, but the beta cells are being destroyed. A lot of times this can actually be autoimmune, which Mm -hmm. I was, I was like, what? (laughs) So diabetes can be an autoimmune thing. So type one, we think of like juvenile diabetes. This is that, that that's kind of the one that we, we think of. Um, but it doesn't have to start when they're young. It could be at any age. And then type two, this is where we don't have to give insulin. So, you know, a lot of the other things that we can do can help control it. Mm-hmm. There is insulin resistance that happens. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Oh God. So right. we're going <laughs> to dive into some anatomy and physiology. Uh, and I realized as I was going through this, I will work on creating a page for the pancreas that talks about anatomy and physiology because I don't have one. We don't have one yet. So yeah, yeah. Um, that may be something that I try to work on relatively soon, but it's not done yet. So I apologize for that. Well, we but, talked about that. We got to work on like a couple other things that we're going to discuss here soon too. So yeah. So it's, it, it is a work in progress. It's just <laughs> Jordan and I, and uh, we still have full-time jobs, but we want to get as much information out for you guys. Uh, so when we're talking about diabetes and the pancreas, this is the endocrine function. So we talked about exocrine with pancreatitis. This is going to be the endocrine. So within the pancreas, there's tissue that is the endocrine function of the pancreas. Those tissues, and you guys probably remember this at some point from tech school, is the islet of Langerhans. Um, <laughs> I always thought these were like the coolest things. I'm like, the islet of Langerhans. It, it just, it like screams Lord of the Rings for me for some reason. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, <laughs> the islets of Langerhans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then so it's broken down into like four different types too. I don't, I didn't actually watch Lord of the Rings. So I don't want to get into that, but I'm, there was like several rings, right? I don't know. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Okay. Jordan, like the line is one ring to rule them all. Oh, I, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it sounds like Lord of, it's because <laughs> I haven't watched. I, yeah, it sounds like that, but then yeah. It's broken okay, down so into- this is how we're going to dork out with this. It's because there were four hobbits. Oh, okay. 
There's where yeah, your exactly. Four comes from. <laughs> totally what I meant. <laughs> oh my god. One hundred percent what I meant. <laughs> so yeah, the four so hobbits are the four hobbits, are, exactly. We'll joke then that the four hobbits are what regulate the blood sugar in in or the glucose in the bloodstream. So alpha cells are first, alpha, beta, delta. We'll we'll get through that. But alpha secretes glucagon. So if the blood sugar is low, the glucagon is produced to bring that blood sugar higher. Yep. And then our beta cells, they secrete the insulin. So if blood sugar is high, then obviously insulin will reduce that blood sugar. Yeah. And the alpha and beta cells really are kind of the most important when we talk about diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones, they they have other endocrine function, but, but that really don't relate to diabetes. But if you remember um, feedback loops... Yeah, we'll get into that soon. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we talk about endocrine, it really, most of these are feedback loops. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if the, if the sugar, the blood sugar is high, right, the, the pancreas goes, oh, I need to make some insulin and bind to that sugar to get it out of the system because sugar is toxic to cells in large quantities, which is why we get a lot of, you know, like diabetes neuropathy and all this other stuff. But the opposite is, you know, if, if your sugar is too low, then things can't function because the cells do need sugar within them to do their na- normal daily operations. Yeah. So then it produces the glucagon, which stimulates the liver and does all this stuff and kind of helps regulate. Um, so those yes. are the two that we're really going to focus on. Well, we're going to focus on for a minute <laughs> with diabetes. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, we have the other two <laughs> islet slash hobbits. hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, F cells, which are pancreatic polypeptide. Again, not really super related to diabetes right now. And then delta cells, which is just, they help. It's a growth hormone inhibiting hormone. Somatostatin. Somatostatin. (laughs) Exactly. But that, again, doesn't kind of really go with our our diabetes talk right now. So then we kind of get into, well, what does insulin do to the body? And insulin has several metabolic effects, which include just carbohydrate metabolism, suppressing hepatic glucose production. So that's where, you know, the liver is producing glucose and your insulin is going to tell it to slow down and then promoting glucose uptake by the liver and then storing that to as gluco, uh, glycogen for use for the body to break down later. That's you really start getting into nutrition. If you start really diving into like diabetes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, I found that wormhole when I was studying, <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> man, now I'm learning about how the body just breaks down all these like carbohydrates and fats and proteins and glucose and Um, Yeah. So we'll try to briefly skim over that with, so anyway, promoting glucose uptake by the liver and then stimulating glucose uptake by the tissues. We, when we get our BG, you know, that's our blood glucose. So how much glucose is running around in our blood Mm -hmm. and then our tissues, this, it's a little bit different, right? So we want, so we have our cells in order to, for our cells to do anything, we have ATP and we have all glucose. Those those tissues need to, the cells need to grab the, the glucose into them in order to function. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to do that, remember that lock and key mechanism, the insulin has to bind to the glucose. And then the insulin is basically the key 
that opens up the cell and drives the the glucose into mm -hmm. it. So without insulin, you're not going to get glucose to your tissues and then your tissues are going to starve and die. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's where it becomes a problem um, with diabetic patients is you have all this glucose available in the bloodstream. It just can't get to where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. So insulin really is the driving factor for that. So that's, that's one of the big things that we deal with, with diabetic patients. Yeah. yeah. And the other part of that is, um, if there is no glucose for the body to use, it needs a fuel source from somewhere. So mm -hmm. the body says, wait, I can't get glucose. So I'm going to get a, a substance that I can use that I can burn. So what happens is the body will start using fat and breaks down the fat and uses the, the, the fuel source from that, which when that happens, that's where ketones come from, right? The byproduct of breaking down fat to be used as a fuel source is ketone production. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit more in the, the DKA, the diabetic ketoacidosis um, episode. But, you know, your, your blood sugar is going to be really high. I can't use it. It breaks down fat, produces ketones. Ketones are very irritating and everything. So it's it's this big it's a big problem within the cells and within the body and causes all sorts of havoc. So we want to make sure that there's enough insulin and it's a fine balance, right? Enough insulin to get the glucose out of your bloodstream and not form ketones, but not mm -hmm. so much insulin that we're tanking them <laughs> and they're seizuring. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they're yeah. balanced. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's all about that negative feedback loop. If, if it's hindered somehow, then your body just goes crazy. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I thought this was interesting. I, just so you guys are aware, uh, a lot of the stuff that I was researching, um, I, I was using two books really for most of it. There's the small animal internal medicine for technicians and nurses by Linda Merrill. If you do not have this book and you work in internal medicine, just get it. <laughs> yeah. You'll need it. Eventually. <laughs> if you're sitting for your boards just get it. And it's just a great resource to have in your clinic because the way it's written is geared towards technicians, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a breakdown of what the disease process is. And there's also, there's also sections that talk about like our role in managing these cases and managing, I'll just say it, managing our clients as well. Right. Right. So we talk about how to deal with diseases. And so the book is really, really good for that. So I use that book plus, and then the second book that I use is the endocrine and, or excuse me, canine and feline endocrinology. It's um, by Feldman. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, it's probably on your doctor's shelf. If you work in internal medicine, um, we'll put links to both of these in the show notes as well. Um, but both of them are great. I'm definitely going to dive more <laughs> into diabetes because I have a, I have a lecture I have to do for work. And so I'm going to learn more after this episode because I realized how much I didn't know about diabetes, which is, <laughs> but the cool thing about both of those is they give us statistics on, um, dog and cat diabetes. So for cats, um, there, there are different studies out there depending on what group of, um, pets or animals they were looking at. Some of the studies show between somewhere between one in 50 and one in 400 cats 
will be affected at some point in their lives by diabetes mellitus, which I thought that was, that was kind of an intense number. I was like, I was like, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of cats. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then the, the good thing is most cats are going to be type two versus type one. Type one is pretty rare in cats, um, which is why if you guys have dealt with, with cats, they can go into remission because mm-hmm. the insulin resistance and, and that kind of thing is what causes their sugars to be high. And so once we get some of those, those things that cause insulin resistance under control, they can be managed with like diet and exercise. So it's, it's kind of interesting. They also say that Burmese, which I was kind of surprised by that, but possibly that Burmese breeds are a little bit higher susceptibility to diabetes. Interesting. I don't, I can't really recall many Burmese Burmese diabetics that I've seen. Like Like it's always like a fat orange cat or something that I have. I know I'm waiting for my fat orange cat to become diabetic. I'm waiting. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I do agree kind of with the rest of, um, your notes here that typically older, like we're seeing greater than nine years of age, usually when we're diagnosing this in cats, Mm -hmm. I do tend to see more males affected than females. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I was like neutered males and, and we don't really know why, but we see it a little bit more with them. Decreased physical activity. So those lazy cats are more susceptible to it. Steroid therapy or glucocorticoid therapy always puts cats at risk. And that's one of those kind of conversations that you should have with a client when your doctor's prescribing a steroid medication. This is why we taper these medications. Mm -hmm. This is why your cat shouldn't be on it long-term is because cats do have a higher risk of developing diabetes when on that, when on that type of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a conversation to be had if that's ever prescribed, but (laughs) yeah, we have, um, you know, a lot of our IBD cats or Mm -hmm. our lymphoma cats, GI lymphoma, because they are on steroids. We caution owners, you know, Mm -hmm. long-term is not a great idea. Try to get other drugs in on board to prevent them becoming diabetic. Cause unfortunately I've seen quite a few of them flip yeah, yeah. And it's pretty rapid too. It's like they're good, good, good. And then you'll get that phone call of like, well, my cat's drinking a lot right now. And I'm like, man, like, oh, it's not just the so, steroids. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then obesity that kind of goes along with a decreased physical activity. Those cute, adorable. I had this one adorable cat and he did become diabetic oh. the older he got, but his name was Nudge. Huh. And he was like a big, fat I mean like 24 pounds cool. cat with his he was like a gray tabby and he had the shortest little legs and he was adorable nice. but yeah I did feel really bad he he lost a lot of weight when he became diabetic he's like oh there goes my there go my fat stores yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but we I, I kind of mentioned at the top how dogs have the more of the type one diabetes mm-hmm. so that's more of like a um immune it, it's an like an immune disease is what's speculated but it doesn't affect what you have notes here of 1.5 percent of the population that's kind of mind-blowing yeah it, i i was surprised by that statistic that one and a half percent about one and a half percent of the dog population it will become diabetic which yeah i mean it, it explains why we see so many diabetic patients um, yeah. and why it's such a common disease. 
it was interesting. There was also notes of uh, familial diabetes. So it definitely having genetic component Mm -hmm. where, you know, parents, grandparents, that kind of thing, which I thought was interesting. Well, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, because I know we have like the specific breeds, like Australian Terriers. Um, Schnauzers, though, do come to mind because I feel like in my mind, Schnauzers are prone to pancreatitis and then they're also prone to diabetes. So miniature and Schnauzers or miniature and standard. Uh, Samoids, Fox Terriers, which I was, I have a Fox Terrier and I was a little concerned at some point that she would become diabetic. Bichons, Karens, Karen Terriers, miniature toy poodles, Siberian Huskies. And then, and the same thing though, you do kind of tend to see it in the older patients mm-hmm. and, but they, unlike cats, the, it's more geared towards females. Yeah. Which is a little interesting to me. Too. Yeah. It's, it, it is funny how it's like the opposite. They also, mm-hmm. um, it was interesting. They were talking about dogs can get gestational diabetes. Yeah. That was interesting, but cats tend to not get it, which I guess yeah. it makes sense when we're talking like type one and versus type two, because being pregnant causes your immune system to do crazy things. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it makes sense when I think about it. Yeah. It's just one of those things you don't really think about. You're like, Oh, I have a diabetic dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steroids. Steroids gets everybody. Yes. Progestogen. Progestogen helps to um, maintain pregnancy. I don't honestly, I don't know when we're using this in <laughs> in medicine, in internal medicine. Um, so that might be something that we find out later and let you know about. It's probably one of those things. Maybe we'll get like a repo specialist or tech be like, yeah, we use this therapy and <laughs> yeah, we see diabetics sometimes, but yeah. And then um, obesity. Yeah. Chubby dogs. Chubby dogs. I know. They're I always, so cute. I, it, it's one of those things where when you're talking to a client, you have to be pretty cognizant of the fact that they're going to be very sensitive to their dogs being fat. So I, when you're having that conversation with a client, you want to be gentle about it and don't be like, you're fat, your dog's fat. You need to do something because they're not going to listen to you at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to approach them from that direction of, Hey, you know, here's some things that we can prevent if we, you know, get fluffy to, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight and be more active and he can live longer for you, you know, those kinds of things. So just because people equate food with love with their animals. So we just have to be, <laughs> we just have to be very careful of it. Um, I joke in the clinic when I see our diabetic animals or our chubby animals, I'm like, it's not your fault it's your parents' <laughs> fault. Like it's not their fault. Like they're, they're animals. They're going to eat what's put in front of them. So if, if an owner gives them cheeseburgers, <laughs> you know, it's not the dog's fault. So just be, yeah. be gentle with our clients. Yeah. Client communication, I think is key. You just got to kind of explain the risks. You, mm-hmm. Your dog's at risk for di- Well, your dog or cat's at risk for diabetes. It hurts their joints. Like let's, yeah. and then work with them too. Just be like, let's feed a little bit of less, feed a little bit less food and do a little bit more exercise, you know? So I think it's just kind of communication about why not just your dog's fat, lose weight. Yeah. And I Uh, think that I've also seen those programs that you can do at your general practice where it's it's like the losing weight, like the pet weight loss challenge or something like that, where you make it like, like yeah. Yeah. You kind of have like an app for it. Yeah. Yeah. The Um, app. I think I've seen that. 
we'll have to talk to our nutrition peeps because we need I'm to sure have like it. a nutrition episode at some point. I Just know, like a we full really do. nutrition episode. We do. We probably need multiple nutrition episodes. Probably. <laughs> Probably. There's so many diseases that go along with nutrition. Yes. <laughs> so to kind of go along with talking to your clients, we, we do have to get history for them from them. One, one of those things that you're looking for in history of diabetic patients, whether that's newly diagnosed or not diagnosed yet, is you're going to see extreme thirst and urination. And the reason for that is the body says there's too much sugar and sugar is a diuretic, right? So they're drinking a ton and they're peeing the sugar out because the body wants to get rid of this excess. So they're just drinking a ton, urinating a ton. I, it's, it's kind of an interesting, the body tries to regulate it, but it can't. Yeah. One of the other things to go along with that is weight loss, even though they are usually ravenous and part of that being ravenous the the extreme hunger is that again their cells are not getting the nutrition that they need the glucose they need because the insulin's not binding to it so they feel hungry and their you know their fat stores are being used so they're losing weight they're not getting the nutrition that they need and so they're they're you know they're wasting away like that's what clients say my dog's wasting away and you're like okay well Let's see what metabolic thing is going on that that's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're noticing too accidents in the house because they are drinking and urinating so much. So you have those normal dogs mm -hmm. and the client comes in and says, you know, he never, he never urinates in the house. Like he, but he's been having accidents lately, but it's large volumes, not small, frequent volumes, like with the mm -hmm. UTI mm -hmm. and then just general like lethargy or weakness dogs um, are more prone to, well, a hundred percent of dogs will develop cataracts from diabetes. I read that and I was like, whoa, like, yeah. so it, it's very, very common that they do lose their vision. And then the side effects of being, becoming diabetic, you can develop, or if you've had a patient who had pancreatitis maybe a month ago, and now they're drinking and urinating large amounts, or they've been on steroids for maybe a some sort of severe allergy or something like that, mm -hmm. or a cat with IBD that you're trying to just kind of manage and you see these symptoms occurring and it's worn, it's worth looking into a little bit further. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting when, uh, when I was reading about diabetes and pancreatitis, it's one of those chicken and egg questions. Right? Yeah. What comes first? <laughs> what, what We don't always know which one was first. Was it the, Especially the severe pancreatitis or yeah. was it the diabetes? Because right. We're talking about the pancreas. We've got exocrine, we've got endocrine function. So which one malfunctioned first, right? Yeah. If you've got a severe pancreatitis, that inflammation in the, in the um, exocrine portion of the pancreas can cause damage to the tissues that are endocrine, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have the the endocrine that's not functioning well, you have this extreme high sugar and then the sugar is irritating to tissues, including the pancreas. Yeah. So when you've got these numbers in the 500, 600s, you're causing tissue damage to the pancreas. Now we get pancreatitis because it's inflamed, it's mad. So it's, it is this vicious circle. So sometimes it's hard to determine which one came, came first. first. Yeah. <laughs> so just yeah. keep that in mind. So th You're probably going to see it. <laughs> oh, definitely. And like I said, I feel, 
like that seems pretty common with cats, especially mm-hmm. where you've just recently treated them for pancreatitis or they come in for pancreatitis and, and then you're kind of incidentally finding diabetes at the same time. So I, I feel like mm-hmm. that seems pretty common in cats. Yeah. Um, which so I mean, course- if you think about it, it makes sense with cats because mm-hmm. cats are type two. Yeah. And so inflammation causes insulin resistance. So when we've got pancreatitis, it it definitely makes sense that these cats are going to be more predisposed to getting diabetic because their insulin isn't being used appropriately. Yeah, so it's, exactly. It's, it's crazy when you start looking at it from a physiology <laughs> standpoint. You're like, oh, right? that's like, why. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think upon like intake, when after you obtain your history, so many. I feel like there can be a lot of differentials that kind of come to mind. Mm -hmm. Urinary tract infection, like I said, that small, frequent urination versus large volumes Mm -hmm. frequently. Pancreatitis, obviously, because we will probably never really figure out which one came first. (laughs) So Cushing's disease, because they can kind of exhibit similar symptoms where they're kind of muscle wasting, PUPD, neoplasia. They can have some underlying disease that you just really need to investigate further. We briefly touched on DKA and we'll touch on DKA a little bit more, but that's just the diabetes wasn't caught quick enough. Mm -hmm. And so now the body's kind of going haywire, but they can exhibit those symptoms too. Mm -hmm. And then cats can be stress. Yeah. So (laughs) yes, cats, stress. Um, yeah. So it's hard because some in dogs as well, stress because of the the hormones released with stress of cortisone and those kinds of things, it can drive your blood sugar numbers up. So if if the doctors see a blood glucose that's high, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, is that blood sugar high? And we're, and we're not talking 500, right? Like 500, that's diabetic. Yeah. That, that kind of weird range in cats where it's, 180 to 220 and maybe 250 kind of in that yeah. range you're like wait are they diabetic are they stressed out you know sometimes it's hard to figure out which one it is so you can do some you can do some diagnostic tests to figure out you know is it stress or is it is it truly we're getting insulin resistance and we're becoming diabetic so we'll talk yeah. about it in a few minutes but like a fructosamine can let you know um so sometimes you just have to figure out you know are we stressed or are we really getting to diabetic stage um, so cats, because they're type two, it can be that weird, tricky, tricky area where like, is it stress? Is it diabetes? Where are yeah. we at? The, the borderline of like, I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but that just, that ultimately just means you need to do a few more tests. Yeah. Yeah. And, and prevent it becoming diabetic in the future mm-hmm. too. So, mm-hmm. um, that's really key. So I think technician skills on these cases are pretty important because blood draws need to be pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Same with like, if you're spinning down a serum sample for a fructosamine level, it's pretty important to spin those down in the adequate time frame So you don't have that false low hypoglycemia or where it was high and you let it sit out for three hours. And yeah, the other part of that too, because um, diabetic patients, a lot of times, they're, um, they usually have high cholesterol as well. Mm -hmm. So like, especially schnauzers, right? (laughs) So your samples are going to be really lipemic. And we talked about this a little bit previously, I think in the pancreatitis episode is 
if you let that lipemic blood sit for too long before spinning it down, we're breaking down red blood cells, which causes hemolysis, but hemolysis will mess with the fructosamine test. Yeah. Which is a pain. So you have to, you kind of have to balance it with when you're doing fructosamine, you want to make sure you, you have an atraumatic blood draw, right? Mm-hmm. If you see lipemia, do your best to spin it down as, as quickly as possible, as gently as possible to not get that funky fructosamine level, if that's mm-hmm. what you're going with. And then I think too, like text can do cystocentesis, text do do cystocentesis. I feel mm-hmm. like cystocentesis is pretty important in these situations just because you do want to rule out a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. So avoided samples tend to have that, not false bacteria, but bacteria shed from free catch collection. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think cystocentesis is pretty important also too, because if you do have a diabetic or a cushionoid patient, they're prone to UTIs. So they are more yep. susceptible to get those. So trying to get a clean, sterile sample adequately is, is pretty important in these situations just to see mm-hmm. what you're, what you need to treat this pet for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jordan and I both, we both love ultrasounds. Um, so much. Yes, they're so amazing. Uh, so yes. And, and I personally, I do my, I do all my cystocentesis with my ultrasound mm-hmm. because we have an ultrasound and I just feel like I want to see <laughs> where all the blood vessels are. Um, mm-hmm. just as an example, just recently, one of my doctors was doing an FNA, so a final aspirate of something, and she, uh, the, the cat moved a little bit, and uh, we poked the aorta. <laughs> Thankfully, the cat was fine, uh, yeah. but, you know, we sat for about a half an hour holding pressure on the abdomen, watching the hematoma get bigger, but, you know, the, the, the aorta is right below the bladder. So as a technician, I want to make sure I'm not going to poke that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to my doctor and tell them that I just poked the aorta in an animal um, because they can die from that. So I use my ultrasound. I make sure that I can visualize it. I, you know, I, I'm one of the dorks in my clinic where if a doctor can't hit a bladder, they usually come get me because I am the bladder whisperer apparently. And, um, you can develop those skills and it's, it's a really good skill to have in your back pocket. And, you know, you can, do you, do you use ultrasound for all of yours or do you you do like palpation and guiding? I used to do palpation in general practice, even though we, I mean, we had access to an ultrasound, which I do firmly believe if you have it, you should use it. Mm -hmm. But in cats, we would do like, especially palpation. Um, Yeah, I if our um, ultrasound is being used or something. Yeah, I get freaked out by it. But I know plenty of technicians are really good at that. And yeah, I just am paranoid and I have tools at my disposal that I can use. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think this is where we should probably break for part one, just due to it being such a lengthy episode, because you know, no diabetic conversation is ever just 45 minutes. So I think we will end part one here and pick up part two next week back with you guys. So we appreciate you listening. Oh, before we forget, it is Thanksgiving week. So our, our wish for everyone is have a great Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Jordan, I hope you spend some time with your family. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm thankful for for my new friends like Yvonne and our podcast so I know wasn't that so cheesy 
No, that was awesome. It was great. I am also thankful for our, the new friends that we've made through the podcast. So through our Facebook group, um, hanging out with Jordan, which has been really fun. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like good things will be happening, but we're, no, we're working on conquering the vet tech world, which all of you (laughs) out there should be doing as well. But, but thank you for coming along with us on this journey. Happy Thanksgiving. Since it is the diabetes episode, (laughs) don't eat too much pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie. Don't develop diabetes during Thanksgiving. Exactly. (laughs) Or pancreatitis. We'll go back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pancreatitis, diabetes. Don't get it for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Have a great week. We will talk to you next week. Try not to get into a triple fun coma. And we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.